Our sermon today is from Psalm 127. Let's read this passage now. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. A song of ascent of Solomon. Unless Yahweh builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless Yahweh watches the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early, that you sit out late. O you who eat the bread of painful labors. For in this manner, he gives sleep to his beloved. Behold, children are an inheritance of Yahweh. The fruit of the womb is a labor. Is a reward, sorry. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. They shall not be ashamed when they speak with enemies in the gate. These are God's words. You can take your seats. Father, we thank you for the plain and clear teaching of your word. We acknowledge, Lord, that even the plain things we cannot see, the plain things we, we might not apply because of the sinfulness in us. Lord, as we've just sung, um, we pray that you would break down any resistance against your holy law. May you cause us to obey you as radically as it takes. Lord, we want to be your vessels. We want to glorify you through an obedient life. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My plan is to continue chipping away at the Psalms of Ascent for the next few weeks. Uh, you may have noticed that I, I'm not doing this in any particular order. I am jumping around a bit. Uh, I have chosen this order for pastoral reasons. As your shepherd, I want to lead you to the food I believe you need. In this season, we all have particular needs, individually and as a church, and taking those things into account, I thought there was no better psalm for us this week than Psalm 127. Solomon gave us this proverb-like psalm to prevent God's people from experiencing the soul-destroying effects of vain work, burning up energy for nothing, finding that your service of God was useless. There are not many things worse in life than finding out that after you've finished a building, after much toil, what you were making was always destined to be useless. What we want, along with Solomon, is for Yahweh to be the builder and protector of what we work for so that our efforts are not worthless, so they are not in vain. That is what we're going to focus on today. The first verse of the psalm and mainly just the first half of this verse, and I will preach the rest of this psalm maybe next week or maybe over the next two weeks. And the rest of the psalm, after making clear the vanity of godless toil, Solomon makes what could seem to be a jarring turn in the last half of the psalm, describing the blessing of many useful children. Next week, we will show how this naturally follows in this song, and we will consider its meaning in depth. But we have enough in the first verse for a whole sermon today. So let's get back to that first verse and see what it says once again. Unless Yahweh builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless Yahweh watches the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Like I said earlier, this is a proverbial psalm, and with biblical proverbs, 
we are always taught a general principle that can, can and must be applied outside the limited scope of the words on the page. That being the case, this proverb is not merely referring to building houses or watching cities. Solomon used these vivid pictures of building a house and watching over cities to get a broader point across. Yahweh must build and keep all that we do. Think about how these images are fitting, though. We know that human-made houses, no matter how much attention is given to the strength of its construction, they can be made really, really strong, but they can still be reduced to rubble. Cities can be well defended, but even the strongest defenses can be overwhelmed by enemies if God wills it to happen. This psalm teaches that the works of men are vain works, if God is not the chief builder and protector of them. Like I've said, this applies not only to building houses or protecting cities, but to all that man puts his hand to. Unless Yahweh builds the family, the father labors in vain. Unless Yahweh builds the church, the pastors labor in vain. Unless Yahweh builds the nation, the civil magistrates labor in vain. We shouldn't strictly limit the word house to the buildings that house families or businesses or something of that kind. This is what Calvin said about um, all that is in the word house, um, quoting now from his commentary. By the word house, he means not only the building of wood, the buildings of wood or stone, but he comprehends the whole domestic order and government of a family. And as a little after, by the word city, he denotes not only the buildings or enclosures of the walls, but also the general state of the whole commonwealth, end quote. But acknowledging how broadly this applies, I'm not actually going to, I'm going to limit my applications today to the home. Uh, The next natural question for us to ask is, how does Yahweh build? How is it that he builds a thing? The first thing to point out from the text itself is that Yahweh builds what we build. If Yahweh is the builder of the house, the human builders are laboring, but not in vain. Anyone who wants to build anything must labor. The question is whether their labors were in vain or not. Both God and man are building in this passage in some sense. And in this case, God is the primary builder when men are laboring in faith, in faith of his precepts. Listen to how Calvin guards against the hyper-Calvinistic interpretation of this text. Quoting now, He does not, however, reject either the labor, the enterprises, or the counsels of men, for it is a praiseworthy virtue to diligently discharge the duties of our officers. It is not the will of the Lord that we should be like blocks of wood or that we should arm our, uh, keep our arms folded without doing anything, but that we should apply to use all the talents and advantages which he has conferred upon us. End quote. So these houses that Yahweh builds are built through the agency of men, laboring with the gifts and strengths that he has given them. This is where the common cringy saying, let go and let God, is often misused. It can be used to undermine the necessary work of putting your hand to the plow. 
There are times in our lives when we can do nothing about our situation but pray and give it to God. But most of our life is about building. Building faithfully with God's direction. God will not approve the man who, full of false piety, leaves the building up to God. So this passage is not saying let go and let God. As we unpack the teaching here, we will find it is actually saying the opposite. If Yahweh is the builder of your house, you will labor with all your being to establish your house. How is it then that God builds while we build? While God is truly the building our house, when we build it in his strength, and when we follow God's plans, his revealed will found in Scripture. The sum of God's revealed will is his loving law. But we will get back to this idea later. Non-Christians couldn't care less how God would have them build. They build on the sand, ignoring the incoming tide, or maybe not ignoring it, possibly just refusing to believe that it will affect them. But all their efforts will be shown to be vain. Proverbs 11, uh, 14, 11 says, The house of the wicked will be destroyed, but the tent of the upright will flourish. But even those who claim the name of Christ can build in vain. Many are building in ignorance of God's will. And saying this, we have to admit that we are all ignorant of the application of Scripture to our building to varying degrees. So we will all build with some degree of folly mixed in. That being the case, we need to continually seek out God's will in his word so that we know how to build correctly. And that's going to be our main emphasis today. But I have to point out, the most ignorant of Christians believe it is the will of God for them to exercise their free will when building, as long as they pray over what they've made and dedicate it to God. They think he'll bless whatever they come up with And this shows that they do not know God or his scriptures. Is Yahweh the builder of these free will designer houses? Of course not. Because if God is to be the builder of a house, he has to have some oversight over what is being made. Without consulting God's will, you will build on the sands of your ignorance. The vanity of the ignorant Christian's efforts will be shown in time. Christians are not spared from the fallout of faulty building practices because there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is destruction. (laughs) Yahweh will vindicate his wisdom by showing both the strength of his plans and the fragility of man's foolish plans. There are others that claim the name of Christ but refuse to build as they are told, finding clever or subtle ways around true obedience. In their arrogance, they refuse to let God be the builder of their house, though they know how he would want them to build. Instead of building upon the revealed will of God on the foundation of solid rock, they build on the sands of their wisdom. For the Christian who understands the will of God, this proverb should be read as an imperative. Yahweh must build your house, so faithfully obey his instruction to the letter. This wriggling around obedience looks like a complementarian church, letting a woman lead worship, or teaching a little thingy 
not preaching on Mother's Day or special occasions. This looks like sending your kids to public school for secular government-led pro-homo pink shirt day training when you know that you have been given the responsibility to raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. This looks like asking God for forgiveness, but never asking your children for forgiveness for your angry outbursts. This looks like sparing the rod. This looks like outwardly mature married women who know that their body is not their own, being stingy in the secrecy of their bedroom. This looks like a man who thinks himself a theologian, ignoring the needs of their wife. These people build their house not on the sands of ignorance, but on the sands of disobedience. Matthew seven twenty four to 27. I've got the passage there for you if you want to follow. It's a familiar passage. And it says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. So if Yahweh is going to be the builder of our houses, we must hear and do the will of God revealed in his word. A lot of what I've said so far is pretty basic stuff. But let's dig down now to see what the foundational principles are for building a house and a home. There is so much that could be said here, and obviously I'm not going to be able to say it all. Like I said earlier, this passage applies to everything we build, but I'm going to limit my applications to the home Even then, I feel like I've bitten off too much in one sermon, but here we go. The reality is, if we were not sinners, building a home would be easy. Sin makes it not only difficult to build a home, but impossible if it is not dealt with correctly. A house built by Yahweh deals with its sin correctly, that is, as he prescribes Consider Proverbs 3.33. The curse of Yahweh is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the abode of the righteous. The righteous are going to take into account how to deal with the sin within their home. So at the base level of our understanding, we must know how truly sinful we are and how much it governs the way that we need to build our homes. Much of the structure of our homes if it, if it is going to be built by God, is made up of the great big beams that brace against the effects of sin. So what are these beams? These beams are the moral law of God installed correctly. God gave us his moral law for the structural integrity of our home. But this is not like a kit-built home. If I build my house with the solid beams of God's law, but have not love, I have nothing. In preparing for this message, it occurred to me how 1 Corinthians 13 parallels this psalm directly. If we build without love, we build in vain. 
It is essential that these beams be installed and even adorned as God requires. A building with the straight up and down structural integrity of the law, without the pleasant adornment of love and affection, is a prison. It is the ugly, tough shell of a house with windows made of cold bars of steel. Inescapable greys everywhere. Like prisoners kept in a cell, a wife and her children will want to escape a house made without love. It is not beautiful. It is not homely. It is true that the sum of the law is love. Scripture plainly states that. But Scripture states just as plainly that love is more than mere obedience to precepts. 1 Corinthians 13 shows us that love has a relational component to it. The kind of love that builds a home is relational. It takes into account how creation and the effects of the fall have shaped its members and lovingly applies the law within the home. If we do not love relationally, we will ham-fistedly install the beams of the law. They will hold up our house on jacked-up angles and in time fall down on whoever is inside. Putting it another way, Yahweh builds all that he does with love because he is love. If our home is not built with love, he is not the builder of it. Yahweh builds a house through humans obeying the greatest commandment and the second which is like unto it. So what I'm saying, zooming right back out, looking at the foundational principles of building a home, as parents particularly, we must be careful to build our homes with the indestructible beams of the law of God and love. So to really make this principle land, I'm going to walk through 1 Corinthians 13 today, which defines the relational aspects of love and make application to the home. So here we go. Love is patient. Children are annoying. They test our patience. They are just like we were when we were children. If you have a child, there is no way of bypassing their immaturity. They come out immature and stay that way for a long time. God made it a design feature. So he is glorified when we patiently nurture children into maturity. Patiently nurture. He is not glorified when we prematurely expect maturity. That is impatience. We should expect to see immaturity in our children and love them where they are at, regardless of how annoying it is to us. If we expect maturity too soon, we will discourage our children. Since they are incapable of maturity when they are young, they are designed that way, holding them to impossible standards will cause them to be frustrated and angry. Fathers, you know we are directly prohibited from doing this. Colossians 3.21 Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they be discouraged. Impatient and unreasonable fathers provoke their children to anger and make sad, discouraged kids. May God grant us a love for our children that manifests itself in patience. 
There are many other ways that patience builds a home. It is easy to expect optimum efficiency from others, (laughs) especially in marriage. Isn't it true? We are always able to keep better track of our spouse's time-wasting than our own. None of us are 100% efficient with our time. We are all a bit lazy, and we all need a break from time to time. So we shouldn't act as though we are the, ones, the only ones within the household pumping at full noise. Patience. Patience with each other's weakness. This is what builds a home. This is how God builds a home and love. Second, love is kind. This pairs well with patience. In fact, the passage says love is patient and kind together. Obviously, we don't want to tolerate laziness, but knowing we can all be lazy, we have to confront it with kindness if we confront it at all. Kindness is not overbearing, loading up burdens on others that we cannot bear ourselves. So in a house full of sin, fathers sinning, mothers sinning, children sinning, we all have to be kind to one another. It is basic, but do we do it? Do we build our homes with the kindness of God? Think about the kindness of God toward us. Consider how Paul speaks about it in Romans 11.22. He notes the kindness of God in light of his electing grace. Quote, Note then the kindness and the severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but kindness toward you, provided you continue in his kindness. Though we are sinners deserving of God's wrath, in his kindness, in his electing grace, he called us to be kind. He withholds his wrath, not giving us what we deserve, and patiently nurtures us to maturity through sanctification with much patience and kindness. So in the face of other people's faults and immaturity within the home, we ought to return the calm demeanor of a forgiven sinner, not shocked indignation that they do not meet the standard already. We need to express the kindness that comes from understanding we have all been snatched from the flames of hell. Understanding the shared weakness that we all have in our flesh We have to be kind. Kindness is also seen in the way we relieve one another's burdens. Life is hard for all of us, every member of a house. Every day we have the opportunity of strengthening our house by showing the kindness of bearing one another's burdens. This is how Yahweh builds a home, through the kind burden-bearing of Christians. Third, Love does not envy or boast. A house divided against itself cannot stand, and the heart of envy divides brothers. Envy is the resentful longing for what someone else has. Every parent of more than one child knows how easy envy can destroy the peace of a household. Sorting out fights over toys and Legos is a constant parental duty. 
If we want our houses to be built up in love, we need to deal with the heart of envy in each one of us with patience and kindness. We all have envy that creeps up from deep within us at times. Uh, The answer to envy is not to merely squash it when it comes up, though. From this passage itself, it tells us that envy is a failure to love. So the way to break the back of envy is to cultivate a love for the success of others within your home. If we do that, we will not envy. We should want the best for each other. And in so doing, we will build up our house and love. The book of Proverbs also tells us that a father, the main provider of a house, through his envy and greed, can destroy a house from the outside in. Proverbs 15, 27 says, He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates gifts of bribery will live. We may not feel or know that this is happening within our house, but our personal envy has a way of infecting or affecting the others in our houses. So we need to root out envy if we don't want to build our houses in vain. Now, boasting and false pride within a home will divide in a similar way to envy. No one likes a boaster. Boasters are just annoying for everyone who have to hear their boasting. So allowing boasting in your house is a way of allowing the breakdown of relationships within your home. And once a boaster leaves your house, they won't do well outside of your walls if they're going to annoy everyone they meet, bragging about how great they are. It makes the members of your house less useful to the world, and many Christian kids can become this way if their behavior is not confronted by loving parents. We need to build our houses without boasting. Yahweh does not build a house with envy or boasting in it, and those who do build in vain. Fourth, love is not arrogant or rude. Anyone feeling yikes when we hear that? How easy is it to be sharp with the ones you are closest to, those within your house? In the home, since we intuitively understand that there is a covenantal relationship there, established by God, one that cannot be broken, we can think that we can speak to each other however we want and not destroy our houses in doing so. We use rude and sensitive biting remarks that don't help at all but tear down. We just want to get at each other. When we're annoyed at them, we want to annoy them. Try make the other person look stupid. How arrogant and unsightly is this behavior within the home? And better is a dry morsel and tranquility with it than a house full of feasting with strife. Proverbs 17.1 You might be dealing with a real problem, but if you're trying to clean up some issue with arrogance and rudeness... It is like dipping your mop into poopy water, to borrow a phrase from Chocolate Knox, and spreading that poop all around your floor. Rudeness is somewhat the opposite of kindness, 
Kindness builds up. Rudeness tears down, stirs up trouble, makes the home a terrible place to be in, and it tears down your house. Proverbs 11.29 says, He who troubles his own house will inherit the wind. This is another way of saying that whoever builds their house with arrogance and rudeness builds in vain. Fifth, love does not insist on its own way. This is a harder one for us to pass because there are times when a father or mother must insist on their own way. In other words, they must exercise the authority that has been given to them by God. You are not wearing those yoga pants out of this house, for example. But fathers, there is a way of wielding your authority with a brutal kind of insistence. Many children are repelled by their fathers when they lay down the law while showing no concern for their child's disappointment and showing no understanding or willingness to reason. Kindness must also be shown even when drawing a hard line. If you give a little effort to show how you understand their disappointment, it speaks volumes. If you will... If you wield authority without true love and affection, your children will look at you like a steamroller, totally unconcerned about who your dictates are flattening. Parental authority is a big beam that must be erected right in the center of any man's house, but without love, parental commands will become a clanging symbol in the ears of your children. That beam will be chipped away over time. Joyful submission is the fruit of a love and trust that is built up over time, not the insistence of raw obedience. There are times where you're going to have to draw the line, obviously. I'm, I'm not bringing all the nuance that could be bought, but I think you understand what I'm saying. One other thing that can destroy the peace and establishment of a house is a woman who, in rebellion to their husband, insists on her own way. This, this verse is found twice in the book of Proverbs. It is better to live in the corner of a roof than in a house shared with a contentious woman. Proverbs 20, 21.9 and 25.24. We shouldn't be triggered by this verse. It is not based. It is not radical. One thing that has undergirded everything we've gone through today is that a household is God's good idea. He has a plan for it. The model for a good, godly household is a father joyfully taking up the responsibility of his house, his spiritual and physical well-being, a wife joyfully submitting to her husband's authority, and working together with him as his helpmate in the home, and the children submitting joyfully to both their parents. A contentious wife, one who insists on her own way, does not love her house. She is building her own kind of house, and she is building in vain. Yahweh does not build that house, and he will not bless it. She might believe her ways are godly, but it will not matter. Yahweh builds the house of the wife who does not insist on her own way and wields the authority of the father. 
Sixth, love is not irritable or keep a record of wrongs. We've covered this a little already. Irritableness stems from pride and a sense of entitlement. The feeling that you are entitled to have mature and quiet children at all times. Tranquility within the home. The feeling that everyone should freeze on the spot when you bark. No one wants to be around someone who is irritable. Why would you? Who wants to tiptoe around grumpy pants? Every member will go to the furthest corner of your house to find freedom if irritableness is there. Irritableness divides a house in this way. So we need to repent of it. Do whatever it takes. Recognize how loveless irritableness is and stop it by loving your family with kindness. Why don't we keep a record of wrongs? Because God does not keep a record of our wrongs. We must be like God. He forgave us our 10,000 talents of debt, so we better not count the ways that our spouse wronged us today. We're not tallying things up, reminding of failures. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a glory to overlook an offense. So, a house built with love will be full of godlike readiness to forgive. And this house is adorned in such a way it possesses a kind of glory that only overlooking offenses can have. This kind of house full of this glory that God builds will glorify God as others look in on, on, on what you're doing. Seventh, love does not rejoice at wrongdoings but rejoices in the truth. A house that is built with love, uh, with the love of Yahweh, rejoices. And it rejoices in particular things, namely things that accord with the truth. It is not good enough to merely have the truth in your house. We must rejoice in it, be glad in it, love the truth. And Doug Wilson is often saying, uh, the, what we're trying to teach our kids to do is love the standard, understand its goodness, understand its beauty. Many of us grew up at tables full of the kind of laughter that was rooted in gossip and slander. Many of us thrived on making fun of each other and embarrassing each other, nitpicking each other for our faults, for fun. This kind of rejoicing, rejoicing and wrongdoing, Tears down a house. It is toxic. It's hard to see it, this particular one, when laughter is going on in the house. But laughter can be toxic. It is easy to justify making fun of your kids. We might think, I'm guilty of thinking, it will toughen them up. It will keep them humble. There is a limited place where we might need to show them how absurd they are being which makes it hard, but we have to be very careful that our homes don't become the seat of the scoffer. It is easy to make anything look absurd. Not everything is equally absurd. The consequence of getting the balance wrong is terrible. 
Cynical kids often become depressed kids. A culture of mockery promotes insecurity within the home. We have to be really careful about what we rejoice in. We have to be willing to ask ourselves, which would our family rather see or talk about? A foolish man or woman being an ignoramus, doing dumb wrong things? Or an edifying story or discussion that is grounded in the truth? Each type of rejoicing will produce a certain kind of fruit in your family. Rejoicing in wrongdoing rots the brain. Rejoicing in the truth builds up the home as God intended. This is how he builds a home. Lastly, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This sums up much of what we've covered so far. There's a lot of patience and kindness applied there. So I won't be going over the same things again, but to end, I just want to acknowledge how difficult it is to love the members of your house in this way. In truth, it is impossible. If we are to bear all things and endure all things in the flesh, we need a love that is supernatural. Jesus taught us that apart from him, we can do nothing. That includes loving our very own children as we ought to. One prayer that Mel and I have shared together even before we had kids is that God would cause us to love our own kids. It might seem like a weird request when you look at their chubby little lovable faces, but if you truly understand how fickle and fluctuating our love can be as sinners, you will be praying this. Sin affects even natural affection. So we are dependent on God to love this way. The bitterness of the new covenant This is just an encouragement at the end. The bitterness of the new covenant is that God redeems the house of Israel and the house of Judah by supernaturally changing their hearts, writing his law on them and causing his people to walk in true love and obedience. We must be asking that God would do this for us. We must be asking that he would cause us to love our homes and our families, our wives and our children in greater measure with supernatural love. He will be pleased to do this. He has promised to do this because he is glorified by the works of love that he works in you. May Yahweh be the builder and keeper of our homes.